Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. The Overcomers Podcast is designed to help you overcome adversity and live your dreams. Every week, we will be sharing stories of people who found their strength in their struggle. The Overcomers Podcast is sponsored by Journey 333. And that's a lot of threes, so let me tell you what it is. It's fitness, coaching, and nutrition. It is a place where we help you to look better, live better, and feel better, and it is mind, body, spirit. Today, we're going to help you get your mind right with our special guest. Hello, Overcomer Nation. I am Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we're the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. I am super excited to bring to you today our very special guest because we're not talking about just one story today. We're talking about a person that is an Emmy Award-winning journalist who wrote a story or wrote a book that contains multiple stories of overcoming adversity. The name of the book is More After the Break. It says, basically what's going on here is that the reporter returns to 10 unforgettable news stories. Like what happens after the truck pulls away and they were live? What happens to these lives? And today you're going to get to hear about not only Jen Maxfield, welcome to the show, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for taking an interest in the book. It's great to be here. Well, yeah, we are super interested in the book and super interested in you. So not only do you get to hear about Jen today, who had she not been a journalist, uh, would have been a sports medicine physician and held the high jump record at her high school for what was it, 26 years, Jen? Yeah, but who's counting, right? <laughs> <laughs> 26 years, two months. And no. <laughs> No, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, you know, for all of our fitness enthusiasts out there, uh, Jen is no stranger to your passion as well. Uh, but Jen, this is such an awesome book. This is so awesome uh, that you took the time to share these stories that I know are inspiring so many and uh, just touching so many, uh, so many people's hearts. Uh, what inspired you to do this book? Let's talk about that. All right. Well, I've been a TV news reporter for 22 years, and I estimate over that time frame, I've interviewed more than 10,000 people. And look, some of the interviews have been something like, what do you think of that new red light camera by your house? Or how was the Billy Joel concert you just went to? But, but th there have been many, many interviews also that have been, I've been with people on the best days of their lives, the worst days of their lives, at chaotic and tumultuous breaking news scenes. And the way it works in local news uh, in the New York City market, where I've been working for two decades and, and at all the local news stations around the country, is we get an assignment in the morning, we work on it during the day, it airs that evening with a live report, and that's it. And the cycle starts again the next day. But there were some families and some people who I met on these really emotional days for them. And I spent time with them. And when the story aired and I had to leave them to make my deadline, just because I left and because we moved on as a news station doesn't mean that I stopped thinking about them. And I felt that they deserved more. I wanted to go back and I wanted to spend more time with them without the pressure of an impending deadline. And so that's what this book is all about. It's, it, the title says it all, 10 Unforgettable News Stories. And they were unforgettable to me as a reporter and I hope as the reader that these people will stay with you too. You know, I've often been curious about, you know, what happens because you only get like a glimpse of these people's right. lives that are just caught up in, you know, such a, an amazing situation. So I've often been curious, you know, what, what happens? And, you know, I've heard the reporters say, and uh, more after the break, you know, and maybe you get like another little snippet, but 
this is truly more after the break because mm -hmm. you know you told the story and then as you say the cycle moved on but now you've gone back to find out um how did you select the stories that you went back to how did that happen there are certain stories that i would think about periodically i might drive through the town where i interviewed the person i might see something on social media from the family and i would even dream about some of these people and some of these stories which really gives you a sense of how much they've gotten into my heart. And when I started writing the book, I reached out to uh, some of the families and it's, it looks very organized now with the 10 stories, but truly I was writing the book and researching stories and calling families to see if they'd participate all at the same time. And the book really took shape organically in that way. And I feel so honored that the families who are in the book chose to trust me, not once at the original news story, but now twice in terms of going back and telling their story in more detail to me. And I wasn't sure what I was going to get when I approached some of these families. Would I owe them an apology? Did they regret speaking with me at that news scene? And, and really, look, the pain of these families does not go away, but we're now talking about years and in some cases, decades after the original news stories aired. And it gives all of us the benefit of hindsight and context to be able to say, okay, this thing happened to you, but look at what you've done since then. The theme of the whole book is really the triumph of the human spirit and how these people have really overcome such incredible things and, and the beauty in what they're doing now. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about the apprehension that you might have mm -hmm. in going back because you know the, the news can be uh, a great source of, of highlighting and honoring people, but sometimes people have this negative perspective that somehow, you know, maybe they, maybe they got too much light shown on them or, you know, that they didn't want to talk to you again or whatever. And, and so it did take a lot of courage to go back and, uh, you know, step back into these people's lives, not knowing whether they'd be willing to share some more or not. So, you know, thank you for doing that. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and some people did decline or not answer my messages. I had to reach out to people in a variety of ways. Uh, social media is amazing as far as trying to find people, but it wasn't sufficient for everybody who I wanted to find. Uh, I'd go to some people's places of work and I'd mail them letters. The, the one most unusual way that I wound up tracking down a family was people who I'd interviewed at Hurricane Sandy. That was 10 years ago, a horribly destructive storm here in the New York, New Jersey area. And the family who I'd interviewed, we left on very good terms and they weren't answering my Facebook messages. And I thought it's hard for me to believe they wouldn't want to participate. So I wound up mailing them a gift from their baby registry that I found online. And in the card, I wrote, congratulations on your new baby. Also, do you remember when I interviewed you for Hurricane Sandy 10 years ago? Can you please call me back? I'm writing a book. So uh, they and they did call me back and they're part of chapter two now. So I did have to use a lot of different methods to try to track down the people who I'd interviewed in the past. Well, I, I love your heart, though, to honor people. And that, that is very creative. I might, right. I might need to use that for people that we try to get in touch with. But uh, um, I love your heart, though, because you're you try to um, make sure that this story, you know, can still mitigate people's suffering and that, um, you know, maybe just kind of amplify, you know, the important things. How do you control, uh, you know, as a reporter, as an author, how do you control 
um, just kind of how a story is shared to make sure that it, you know, it honored, honors people, mitigates their suffering, that kind of thing. Sure. So one of the misconceptions I think about local news is that we don't write our own stories. And, and actually the way my day works is I work with a photographer. We report the stories as a team and we go out and we do the interviews together. And then I write the news story and, and that's what the photographer edits. And that's what we broadcast live on the news that night. And I'm the oldest of six kids. My parents raised us with a, the mantra uh, and the value of saying to treat other people the way you want to be treated. And that's what I was taught as a child. And that is the mindset that I go into these stories with today. So when I'm knocking on someone's door, I'm approaching someone at a breaking news interview, I, I try to, to really not just look at them as an interviewer. This is just part of my job. This is another human being and I'm stepping into their life during a really difficult time. And that's the mindset and the way I approach people. I would also point out, I, I thank you for saying that you appreciate my putting my heart into this. What I tried to do with my book is to flip the narrative. We've all read books from journalists, memoirs, where they say I covered this inauguration or this storm or this major news event. And it's all about the journalist at the center. Mm -hmm. I felt in my book that I wanted to put the subject of the stories at the center of the narrative and I come into their lives and I leave and what happens after that. And to me, that felt like a more realistic and humanistic way to tell these stories. Yes, definitely. I mean, there's just so much obvious compassion and uh, just heart in your work. Uh, you know, it's, it's awesome to witness. Awesome to witness. So did mm -hmm. you have a... Yeah. Tell us what's the most rewarding part of being a, a journalist. I've covered my home state of New Jersey for the last 20 years. I work for the New York City station, but it encompasses uh, quite a bit of the state of New Jersey, and I primarily report on New Jersey. And there's something about being a local news reporter and being in the same market for 20 years that you really develop this relationship with the viewers. I'm sure you've watched uh, news reporters out in snowstorms and, and reporting on all kinds of uh, you know, in, in severe conditions. And there's, it's so wonderful when we're standing out there and we're freezing and we're on hour five of, of uh, continuous coverage and somebody drives by and says, here, I bought you coffee. Or if we're stuck on a news scene and somebody says, come on into my house if you need to use the restroom or you just want a cold glass of water. And, and that happens all the time. And I love the, the relationship that I've built up with the viewers over all of these years. And What's been so great, uh, my book tour started uh, just this week and, and to be able to meet the viewers and thank them and see people from stories that I might've reported years ago coming out to say hello, that, that's really the most rewarding part of the job is establishing the relationship and the trust with the public. Uh, that's that's awesome. awesome. That is so cool. I didn't even think about how those moments uh, happen. You know, just, uh, just the kindness of, somebody that's just watching you do your work and appreciating what you're going through. That is really neat. I'd love to touch on a couple of the stories that are in the book, uh, you know, just for our audience to realize just the amazing, uh, miraculous, uh, overcoming, you know, yeah, overcomer oh nation. Listen up, listen up. Uh, one talks about an endurance athlete uh, with stage four lung cancer. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Absolutely. You're talking about Isabella Della Husay. And I talk about getting a news release from the Ironman triathlon describing Isabella and what she had done. 
I had to read the news release several times because I, I just couldn't put it all together that a woman who had stage four lung cancer was doing the Ironman triathlon. And so I wound up going to Isabella's home and interviewing her. And it was just, it, none of it fit, right? Everything you think about someone who has advanced stage cancer, yeah. you could just have someone doing the opposite. She was running marathons. She was doing the Ironman triathlon. She was planning and she did several months after I interviewed her, she climbed Aconcagua, which is the highest peak in South America. She did it with her daughter. And to think that this woman, she had done endurance races um, throughout the past several decades, but I was so inspired by this woman. She, she talked about a mantra and something that she thought about that, that I still think about, and I think it's great for everyone to hear. And she said, hope relates to the future but joy is in the present. And she's trying to find joy in every day because her future as someone with cancer is so uncertain, but joy is something that she can look for in every moment. And, and she's an incredible person. And here we are, it's almost four years after she received a, a diagnosis of, of another six months to mm. live. And uh, she's just an incredible woman. And also she's doing a lot of good work as far as raising awareness about women and people who have never smoked mm -hmm. being diagnosed with lung cancer, which is a growing problem, um, especially for women actually, who've never smoked. Wow. Mm. Wow. That is, that is amazing. Okay. And I would like to take time to repeat that quote. Hope relates to the future. Joy is in the present. It's called the present because it's a gift. If we take time to really enjoy it, we can have the joy. That is really, really, really good. Um, yeah, uh, you as a reporter, let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is in your uh, arena, but investigative journalism, right? To the degree of if somebody has lung cancer that's never smoked, did uh, did she enlighten you to any factors that she felt that it was due to or in your research of this, you know, growing epidemic, uh, you know, have you uh, uncovered some things? Well, I did have some help from my father, who's a pulmonologist. Okay, uh, so yeah, right. I, did, <laughs> I did call him about that. And in fact, I've been hearing about this from my father for years, where there's a misconception that everyone who has lung cancer must have it because they smoked. And that is not the case. And in fact, more and more, that's not the case because fewer and fewer people are smoking, right? And people are still getting lung cancer. It's the number one cancer killer in the country. So it's, I, I just think that the story of Isabella is one that, that not only speaks to the triumph of the human spirit, but also a really important public health issue. And uh, Isabella actually has several uh, on different platforms, social media accounts called Bike, Breathe, Believe. And she's been sharing a lot of information about lung cancer and new research and also some of the the awareness about non-smokers getting lung cancer. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think about because that's where my mind goes. Oh, you know? for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a terrible thing. Um, let me ask you about another one in your book that, uh, uh, you know, a story that was highlighted to me. There's a one about someone giving their life for an animal. Yes. Yeah, so you're talking about Tiffany Jantel. 
Tiffany was a 23-year-old woman who was an equestrian. And as you said, she loved animals. She used to tell her mom that she loved animals more than people. So it was no surprise that back in June of 2011, that when she saw a dog that had been hit by another car in the middle of the road, she said to her best friend who was driving, pull over, pull over, I have to help that dog. And so Tiffany uh, got out of the car. She went to the injured dog in the middle of the street. Her boyfriend stayed in the road to try to warn traffic and several other people pulled over to try to help. But tragically, uh, a man who was later found to have been drinking at a local bar uh, was speeding on the highway, ignored everyone telling him to stop. And he ran over Tiffany and he killed her. And, and it is so awful. And he and then he left. He, it was a hit and run. And it's such a tragic story because this beautiful young woman who was trying to help the dog in the middle of the road and less than 48 hours after she passed away, here I am in her mother's living room with this grief-stricken mother, right? I mean, this is every parent's worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. And Kareem Nellius had invited me to her home because the hit and run driver was still out there and he hadn't been arrested yet. And she wanted justice for her daughter. And I'll, I'll never forget sitting with Kareem on that day and thinking of my own three children and thinking of my mother. And, and it was really heartbreaking. And I stayed in touch with Kareem since that day and she was the first person I called when I decided to start writing this book. And I felt that there was more of Tiffany's story to tell, there was more of Corrine's story to tell. And she's actually coming out with me on my book tour and uh, appearing with me at some of the bookstores because she feels that it's her mission in life now to help other parents who've lost a child. And, mm -hmm. and, to, and really to also get the message out there to appreciate every minute you have with your loved ones because you just never know when it'll be the last. And tragically, that was the case for her. Yeah. And has yeah. she taken certain steps to help parents, um, you know, who have lost a child? Is she like forming groups or, or what is, uh, what's her plan with that? What, what are her aspirations? Yes, so she has a Facebook page dedicated to her daughter and she has friends from all over the world uh, many of whom have lost their children more recently than she has and they will come to her and and she will try to walk them through and and comfort them and say this happened to me and i'm still here and here's how i've made it through every day but it's not easy the pain never goes away yeah so so awesome that she's honoring her daughter that way wow um is that the most challenging part of doing what you do? Uh, you know, I mean, what is the most challenging part when it comes to these? I mean, you put yourself in some very tough situations uh, to one, of course, try to bring awareness to the public that these types of things happen uh, to try to mitigate the suffering of a family, to try to honor lives, uh, you know, but you got to be in some really challenging situations. What is the most challenging part of what you do? Sure. So I always say that that anything I'm feeling pales in comparison to what the families are going through and and it's their emotions that really are the focus of the story. But to answer your question, without a doubt, the hardest part of being a news reporter is going up to someone who's experienced a tragedy and asking them to share their story with you. The feeling of walking up to somebody's front door or approaching someone at a breaking news scene, it's, it's almost indescribable. It's sort of a mix of, of guilt and 
embarrassment and and just pain because you're feeling for the person. But again, over the last two decades, it still takes me so far outside my comfort zone to make those asks. But I also recognize that if I don't give them at least the chance to speak with me, that I am depriving them of the opportunity to tell their story and to get an accurate story out there and to share their story with the broader community. And then people see the story on the news and then they're they're prompted to help, whether it's making a donation to a GoFundMe or going to the family's home with food or going to the wake and telling someone how sorry they are. Mm -hmm. And so I am the reporter and I'm asking the questions, but I'm also a proxy for the community because I'm asking the questions that the people at home want to hear. And then when the story goes out, they're in a position to help. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, you know, I know that we're just skimming the surface with a couple of stories we've talked about. I know there's so much more depth and uh, just uh, amazement for people that will read these stories. But I would like to touch on one more since we were just on the topic of children. We talked about um, there's a fifth grader on a doomed field trip uh, in your book. Could you just share a little bit about that? Sure. So back in 2018, in Paramus, New Jersey, a bus full of fifth graders, 10 and 11 year olds, took off to go on a field trip. And uh, the bus got into a horrific accident on Route 80 in New Jersey. And one of the children was killed and one of the teachers was killed. And every single child on the bus that day was injured. It was a terrible, terrible crash. And I write about that, that chapter, chapter seven, which is about Zaina Madahan, one of the survivors of that bus crash. That chapter really deals with the way that my personal life sometimes bleeds into my professional life. And I mentioned that I'm a mom, I have three school-aged children. And so I was out the day of the Paramus bus crash reporting on a different story. And I get a call from our assignment desk and they say, we need you to go back to New Jersey because there's been a horrific school bus crash and, and there are really bad injuries and we think there are fatalities. And my first thought was not, oh, I wonder where we'll do our live shot from or I wonder where the bus is from. My first thought is, do one of my kids have a field trip today? Did, did I forget that they were going on a field trip? Right. And so I had to rule out that it was my family first before I went and reported the story. And the Paramus parents were asking those same questions of themselves and, and right. it was their children on the bus. And so the minute I got to that school and started speaking with people about what had happened, I, I understood on a very visceral level how those parents felt and, and the, the doubt and the fear that they felt because I had felt it myself. And uh, obviously Zaina's parents and all the parents of the kids on that bus, uh, what they've experienced is exponentially worse than anything I felt that day. But, but I did understand the uncertainty of the parents there. And Zaina's an incredible kid. I mean, her, her best friend was killed that day. And this child, this 10 year old who was injured in the bus crash wound up going to the state capitol in New Jersey, going to Capitol Hill in Washington and going on the floor of Congress and asking lawmakers to make school buses safer for kids. And her efforts have led to school bus safety laws across the whole country that have made school buses safer for kids. And wow. she's going into her sophomore year of high school now. She's an incredible kid. She's been through a lot. But I felt that I really honored her in this chapter by saying, 
Here's a child who had this terrible thing happen to her and look what she did to help all children. Yes. Yeah, yeah wow. really. So cool. Jeez. So cool. When you think about Damn. that, uh, you know, we should follow Zaina. There should be a more after the break part two, right? Because, uh, you know, things in your life can either be a, uh, uh, they can be a stepping stone or, you know, they can really stop your life. Right. Um, and, you know, she's used it to, to honor the loss of her friend and, and use it to become more. Right. And, and I think that's who, uh, if there is, are there common threads, you know, and, uh, do you see that as one of the common threads that these people that face this adversity, you know, they've taken these situations and um, use it to make a positive impact or become more? Uh, Absolutely. I always say I hope that people enjoy reading the book as much as I enjoyed researching and writing it because it was so humbling for me to speak with the families and to spend so much time with them in the process of writing this book and to learn from them right? They've been through some of the worst that life has to offer and, and the way they've triumphed and the way that they've succeeded in the wake of all this. It, it really, it's absolutely incredible. And it gave me so much hope. Wow. Huh. Overcomer Nation, this book could actually be retitled <laughs> Overcomer Lessons. So if you're looking for lessons on how to be an overcomer, you know, read more after the break. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, you've mentioned your book tour a couple of times. Where's the book tour going to take you? Well, as I said, I've been reporting here in, in New Jersey and New York, so we have quite a few stops uh, here in New Jersey and New York, and then we're going to Miami and Los Angeles and Maine and Massachusetts and Mississippi. Uh, so we've got a lot of book events planned. And what's great about them is that frequently there will be a family who's featured in the book who will be with me uh, on the book event and, and they'll invite their friends and family and we talk about the process of putting together the book uh, and and how you know our relationship that formed and and how it was different from the day that I approached them on the news scene to now being able to write in, with so much more depth and texture about them in the book. If people are interested in saying hello, you can go to my website, which is jenmaxfield.com. You can click on events, and it gives you a whole list of the uh, book stops on the tour. Uh, that's awesome. Wow. I, you read my mind. I was going to ask that question in case people wanted to get out and uh, come to your book tour, get a chance for an autographed copy. Uh, I'm assuming that you'll be doing some of those book signings and things such as that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Terrific. Terrific. And if people want to uh, follow uh, you in general, is there other uh, sites that they should be aware of or is jenmaxfield.com? Is that like kind of the go-to place and then you can find more social media links or Sure. So you can go to jenmaxfield.com and it will direct you to my Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. So, and, and if you want to look me up on those, I'm typically listed under Jen Maxfield News or just Jen Maxfield. Awesome. I'm going to ask you a, a final uh, question. And, uh, you know, so many people listen to our podcast, uh, they're overcomers. Uh, we say that's the law of attraction. We attract who we are. And, you know, that's why we started this podcast, you know, just being a couple of overcomers talking to overcomers. And, uh, you know, if there is, you know, one or two uh, lessons that working with so many people over the years has taught you, um, would you be willing to share that uh, right now with our audience? Sure. So I think the first thing would just be to reach out to other people who are hurting and who are suffering and to step outside your own comfort zone 
uh, to, to really reach out a helping hand and, and look to the broader community wherever you live and, and to try to be that person in somebody else's life. And, and the other thing that I've learned over the years is just to be really open to listening to other people's stories, uh, whether you think you're going to agree with them or not, or whether you think you're like them or not. It, it's really great that one of the privileges of doing what I do for work is being able to meet all of these people and being able to, uh, you know, be able to hear their stories and their histories. And I, I think if we can just listen to each other a little more, that, that that's really where the magic happens. Yeah. And I like how you said, listen openly, listen openly, because there's just so much division in our world today. It's, it's okay if somebody's different than you, but let's just be more accepting and more willing to listen to their point of view. Um, and reaching out to other people, what, what a great lesson for overcomers. I think too often when we're stuck in our adversity, it's so easy to be just focused on ourselves. But you know, you can't help another without helping yourself. If you're willing to just look and say, you know, who else is struggling right now? And maybe there's something I can do to help. Suddenly you start to help yourself too. Those are two great lessons. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah. Thank you so much to both of you. I so enjoyed speaking with you and, and to all the overcomers. I'm, I'm pulling for you. And I, I think you'll get a lot of inspiration out of my book. So thanks so much. And I just want to introduce you to my co-author, who's been very... <laughs> He's been very quiet during this interview, but he's been sitting on my lap. This is Rocket. He's Rocket. Oh he's my poodle. He's adorable. <laughs> Rocket's your poodle? Is that what? Yeah. Oh, he's, my, he's my fourth child. He just happens to be a dog. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, thank you for introducing us to your yes. co-author. And thank you for being on the show. Thank that's you awesome. so much. Thanks for listening, Overcomer Nation. Make sure if you haven't already, give us a five-star rating. Make sure that you share this and subscribe so you can see all of our future content. That's right. And if you'd like to be a guest on a future show, go to overcomers-podcast.com. If you're interested in our franchise opportunities with Journey 333, then go to www.journeyfitness333.com. And finally, if you like what you heard today and you feel like you're somebody that needs a bit more coaching, go to travisbarnes.com.